function in sound. Built to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi there. I'm Well and Good's Director of Podcast, Taylor Camille, bringing you a special episode from another podcast in the Well and Good family. You may or may not know, but back in April, we launched a new beauty podcast titled Routine Rundown, hosted by Well and Good senior beauty editor Zoe Weiner. And in each episode, Zoe talks to guests about the latest trends and learns about the routines that prepare them for each day. There were so many fruitful conversations had, but one of our true favorites was the conversation she had with Stacey London about menopause education and why it's necessary to change the conversation, not only around menopause, but on aging and beauty in general. We know you'll love this episode, and there are many more in the first season of Routine Rundown for you to check out, which we've linked in the show notes, giving you ample time to catch up before we drop season two. Enjoy. Welcome back to Routine Rundown, the show where we discuss the beauty industry and our routines beyond what meets the eye. I'm your host, Zoe Weiner, Senior Beauty Editor at Well & Good, and today we're speaking with fashion consultant, former editor, and founder of State of Menopause, Stacey London. She's an all-around icon, let me tell you. This conversation got real. We talked about everything from our generational approach to beauty, aging, and of course, menopause. We discussed the importance of changing the conversation about menopause and the confusion that exists among consumers regarding available options. It should be said, Stacey London is changing the game. Before we dive in, don't forget to please leave us a review, share this episode with a friend, and subscribe to our newsletter linked in the show notes to keep the conversation going. Now, let's get into it. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Routine Rundown. I'm Well and Good Senior Beauty Editor Zoe Weiner, and I'm here with Stacey London, who is an icon. You may know her from her gig hosting What Not to Wear. She is a fashion consultant, former editor, and now she is the founder of State of Menopause. We're so excited to have you here, Stacey, to talk all about beauty, menopause, aging, all the good things. Thank you, Zoe. I'm so happy to be here, and I feel like you are my ally at Well and Good. You've covered so much about the state of menopause and menopause in general, and I really appreciate it. So thank you. Stacey, we love everything that you're all about. You know, I think that you are doing really important work changing the conversation about menopause, which is starting the conversation really, because it's not something that people were talking about in this way until very, very recently. Yeah, I think it continues to grow and we're still maybe a couple of years away from it being more mainstream and this kind of less stigmatized issue. A lot of the companies that you're seeing that are popping up surrounding the menopause experience aren't really all in the same category. And I think that sometimes consumers are very confused by what is truly available to them in terms of their choices, right? We have not been educated historically, men or women or any gender non-binary folks. Nobody's really been educated about menopause because I think there's so much shame associated with aging and we conflate menopause and aging so much. And this is particularly difficult for women and those who identify as such because the patriarchy. So there's a lot of work to do, I think, when it comes to female physiology, female reproductive organs. We love to tell young people when they get their periods, now you're a grown up. Now you've reached the age where you know you are able to conceive. And we would never let a child go out in the world without understanding what fertility means, right? And what sexuality really means. And in a lot of cases, particularly when it comes to females, I think that is also the start of objectification in a way that we prize youth in this society for, right? We prize youth because it has to do with fertility. And I think on the opposite end of that, we reject the notion of the end of being able to biologically give birth because that somehow becomes sociobiologically less important. We become less valuable, right? But that's a very old and antiquated idea of what a woman's contribution in society is, or certainly anybody with female reproductive organs. So why not have a conversation much more about what the Japanese actually call menopause. They don't have a word for menopause. They say second spring. And the reason that I love that is because we don't look at menopause as really a gateway towards a completely natural, necessary transition. And every natural process in the body, everything about our lives has a natural beginning and end. That in and of itself is natural. And we don't talk about it as such. We talk about it as like, it's a disease. Oh my God, all the symptoms, it's so terrible. We never turn and shift our perspective a little bit to understand that female physiology is complicated. It's a lot of things happening throughout our lives. But if we were to actually really look at menopause, we could see it as an opportunity for reclamation and certainly a reframe about what the middle of life looks like. Right? When we think about middle age, we're still in the middle ages. Like We think that that is, you experience menopause if you're coming to it chronologically between 40 and 60, and then you might as well be dead. If you're not, you might as well be, because what use are you? But now we know 
because of all of the health and wellness education that we've had, we can live well into our 90s, even hundreds maybe. So the idea that middle age, and if you're coming to menopause chronologically, is somehow an ending, yeah, sure, in one sense it is. But it's an unfinished sentence to say that it's an ending. It's an ending that transitions us into a new phase. And that's a new beginning, right? So why aren't we taking more opportunity about that? Why are we not challenging the status quo and thinking about what is going to be best for our health? What is going to allow us to thrive at this stage of life? I love that. And all I could think when you first started talking was, you know, young girls get period parties when they get their periods. Then when you hit menopause, you have your hot flashes, you suffer in silence, you don't talk about it. And it's always been this stigmatized thing. But as you said, women are living longer. Women in their 40s and 50s and 60s and beyond are kicking ass, starting businesses, doing things. It's like it's not the end that it once was. And I think that that is such an important piece of this conversation for sure. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think it's not the end that it once was, culturally speaking, right? But really, the fact is, it's never been an end. It's only been perceived that way because really generations before Generation X did not talk about it. There is generational shame there, like just being uninformed, right? Mm -hmm. Not having education. We joke around about the term knowledge is power, but really it is, right? Knowledge is agency. Knowledge is part of the work of how we create our own identities. And there is a huge shift in menopause when you start to feel a little of that hormonal chaos spill over, not just into changes in terms of your physicality, your body weight redistribution happens, you're getting hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, things like that. But it also has a real toll on your mental health. Mm -hmm. And you know when you're having heart palpitations and joint pain and muscle fatigue and food allergies and everything else that comes along with this, yes, that can be very jarring. That can create anxiety. But there's also anxiety in hormonal chaos can create anxiety, can create depression, can create rage. And all of these things happening at once really truly is a gut punch to our sense of identity. Certainly for me, I looked pretty much the same from around 30 to 47. And then all of a sudden I started to look different. My skin started to lack the buoyancy it used to have and my hair was getting dry and I started to get hot flashes. I started to get insomnia. I started to get the menopause belly. And I had all of these questions and nobody really had any answers. And I didn't know that these things were all connected to one another because we have hormone receptors everywhere in our body. Hormones control everything. And so this idea that there is some upheaval isn't just about what is happening to, to us physically and emotionally. It's the way in which that's translated into our real lives, which in some ways, a middle-aged crisis is a trope. But at the same time, this is the time where there is a lot of hormonal chaos. There are a lot of changes in the body. We are not knowledgeable about them enough in order to be prepared in the way that we should be and armed with the right materials, whether it's menopausal beauty all the way to medical hormone treatment. Right? These are all things that you should have intense and deep knowledge about way before you get here. But the fact is, Gen X is leading the charge because we're probably the last generation to experience the shame mm -hmm. of menopause and the first generation to be like, okay, enough. 
right? We have younger generations that have already taught us through multi-generational mentorship to be more open, to be more questioning. When I look at what young millennials and Gen Z do in terms of breaking down systemic racism, gender, sexuality, ageism is the last bastion of issues. And when you get to ageism, it really is a lot about sexism. And when you get to that point and you see how stigmatized the subject of menopause is, and you see who is being most affected by that, it is the marginalized, right? Mm -hmm. You start with women and you go down this rabbit hole and you see how much worse it is for women of color or how much worse it is when we think about how ableist menopause is. And we don't think about those with chronic illnesses or conditions that make menopause even harder. So Part of this for me is just how are we looking at issues that involve our hormonal lifespan, mm-hmm. right? If we are going to talk about periods, if we're going to talk about pregnancy or postpartum or even infertility, we have to contextualize menopause in that conversation so that you know what is coming if you're a young person. You can finally start to connect the dots, get that knowledge that you need in order to make educated choices about what is best for you. That is, I think, the real sticking point when it comes to this burgeoning industry, let's say. There's a lot of talk about the business of menopause, that it's this $600 billion renewable market. And yet nobody has created a billion-dollar valuated menopause company. You know, there's a reason for that. And part of it is that we still have a consumer who is either not willing or not educated enough to really make choices about what to do in menopause, may not even be connecting the dots that these issues are menopausal and is spending that money elsewhere trying to feel better, right? That's what this is all about. How do we take agency over our physical and emotional lives at this stage if you have not been educated and find ways to feel better? We're not just doing things that are preventative in terms of aging. We're doing things that are preventative in terms of understanding hormonal fluctuation and the kinds of consequences that that has. Yeah, I think it's so true. And I know that so much of what you've built was really inspired by your journey in this and lacking the resources, lacking the understanding. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your experience going through menopause and how that led to this conversation we're having? Yeah, I did not know that I was in menopause. My reference for menopause was Edith Bunker yelling at Archie when I was five years old. And I thought she was an old lady. Turns out she was like 48 when she started. (laughs) Doesn't that tell you like the difference in style, the difference in the way 50-year-olds look? You know, it's that joke about Rue McClanahan and J-Lo both being 50, right? Within the span of 40 years, the concept of a 50-year-old woman is so different from where it was. In a generation, we have managed to really change that trope. And I joke around about the fact that women in their 50s, we walk among you, but you wouldn't necessarily know it, right? So for me, I didn't know I was in menopause. I didn't even know that it wasn't optional. Like it just didn't occur to me that at the age of 47, I would start to feel so weird. And originally, I thought that it was due to both the physical trauma of spine surgery that I had in 2016. I got my period twice in January of 2017 and never saw it again. But it wasn't until after that, right? Usually after you stop getting your period, after a year, you're postmenopausal. But it wasn't until after I stopped getting my period that I really started to experience all of these different issues that by themselves or just even you know each individual issue is easily dismissible, right? Feeling tired, feeling anxious, having a tough night of insomnia 
could be because you feel stressed out or because something's pressing at work or you're fighting with your significant other, right? You don't necessarily recognize that these are becoming chronic problems that are connected to each other. And for me, I I had all the biggies. I had like literally everyone that you can think of. I had the insomnia, the night sweats, the mood swings, the food allergies, the joint pain, the muscle fatigue, the brain fog, you name it, I had it. And pair that with looking in the mirror and being like, oh, you know, my, my face is starting to drop and, you know, my ass is melting into my knees and what happened? Like my body has changed shape so dramatically. And you start to feel, as I said, and I, and again, I want to be very careful and cognizant. I'm not being callous when I say that I, I really did start to feel mentally unstable. I couldn't be trusted not to like want to throw myself off a bridge because there were all of these things that were taking place. And I thought, oh, this is what happens when you have very extensive surgery on a part of your body that is integral to your staying alive, right? So your heart, your brain, and your spine, there are ramifications around surgeries in those areas because your body thinks that it's dying, right? So that that has a traumatic effect. But that took 18 months for me to like do the physical therapy and really get back to being strong. And while I was doing that, um, my father got very, very sick. And we'd already known that he had a heart disease. And they said that he would be okay until he wasn't. And when he wasn't in March of 2018, it went downhill very quickly. And I started to experience what I thought were sort of sympathy symptoms, ghost symptoms of what my dad was experiencing. So, you know, he had heart disease and I started to get heart palpitations and he would have trouble keeping food down. And all of a sudden I had all these new food allergies. Like I, I couldn't eat salmon anymore, strangely. Like I, you know, I've been eating salmon my whole life. What happened? I thought it was because like I was so anxious for my dad that it was almost like I was taking on the physical manifestations of grief and fear right? He would get a rash. I would get a rash. He would get muscle pain and I would massage him. And then I would have the same muscle pain. It's like, it was, it was very weird. At none of this time, did I think that any of those symptoms were related to menopause? I thought it was either the surgery. And then eventually my father passed away in November of 2018. And I just assumed that I was, you know, either dealing with the physical or emotional trauma of these two situations and that this was how my body was managing. This is how I was handling it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until almost a year later that I really started to understand what had happened to me, that both of those, those instances, the surgery and, and my father's passing, probably amplified my perimenopause experience, probably made my symptoms a lot more severe than they might have been. But what I was really experiencing was perimenopause and I had no idea absolutely no understanding. And my friends had started this company where they were going to start building brands of different kinds for white spaces in the market. And I became a beta tester for this brand, State of Menopause. And part of the reason that I was so anxious and excited to become a beta tester was one, they wanted to make product based on consumer input, which I thought was very important. And two, that it was 
the only time I'd heard about anybody really starting a company that was over the counter, that was non-hormonal, and that was not contraindicated with hormonal use, that was like directed at the issues of menopause. I really had heard nothing like that. And even though they were starting a lot with the, I'm going to call them quote unquote, easier symptoms of menopause, let's say like dry skin or muscle fatigue or brittle hair, right? I thought that it was a little short-sighted to think of it as a beauty company, right? I was like, menopause isn't really about beauty. Beauty is about beauty. And beauty, you can do at any age, as far as I'm concerned. I do not believe in anti-aging anything, because how can you be against something that is inevitable? But menopause and menopause beauty felt different to me. I was like, I want to be careful that what we're doing is really so that it isn't just about how you look, right? I spent my whole career as a fashion stylist saying, look good, feel better, right? But you can't look good if you don't feel good. And if you don't feel good in menopause, you must have tools to help mitigate those issues. And here, at least one company was starting to do that, right? And when they decided that they didn't want to be a consumer product goods company and they didn't want to make brands, I really was devastated with the idea that they were going to sunset the company. It had barely launched. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, look, I know this isn't the entire product roster that I want. I know that I'm going to start cutting some of the products out of this line and reshaping it a little bit to make it less about beauty and more about function. But I see, I have a vision here for what this company could be. And for somebody like me who was not able to take hormones or for somebody who can't take hormones or doesn't want to take hormones or can't afford to take hormones, there must be products that are affordable and available to help mitigate some of the more annoying issues around this transition in order to empower us to make this transition something truly wonderful. And so when they decided to stop, I was like, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to acquire the majority share here uh, and see what I can do. And it's been about 18 months and there have definitely been challenges and trials and tribulations, part of which to be very transparent is that, you know, I wanted to acquire the company because I thought it was so important to start this in the dark conversation, right? Not, not a lot of people are talking about menopause yet. I wanted to start it with an answer. So if you said to me, hey, Stacey, I'm having a hot flash, I'd be like, I got you, girl. I got your cooling spray right here, right? But the issue is, as I've found in the last 18 months, it is very hard to break through as a new brand, period, right? We know there's so much noise around consumer product goods, but it's much harder when you have a consumer that may not be ready to talk about this stuff openly. And we want to meet people where they're at. We want to encourage you to have these conversations with your friends, with your family, with your significant other, with your doctors. We want to help you have those conversations with your doctors or your care practitioners, just so that you feel more in control of this moment, right? I mean, I always used to say about fashion, wear what you want as long as you're controlling the narrative, as long as what you wear gets you where you want to be in life, right? Being prepared. There's nothing like being prepared. So this idea that um, if we know more about menopause, if we talk very transparently and openly about menopause, if we talk about the fact that like, hey, your vagina gets dry in menopause, like these are things that then we become to normalize. I mean, the fact is we talk about Viagra and guys not being able to get it up all the time. Why is that okay? And yet it's not okay for women who have really 
traditionally been taught, I think very subliminally been taught to be afraid to be in their bodies or afraid of what their bodies do, that we start to have these more normalized conversations. This isn't a question of a value judgment, right? We're all going to go through this. 52% of the population is going to experience menopause. And in 2025, 12% of the earth's population, 1 billion people, the population of China will be in menopause. How can we not be talking about this? How can we just let people sort of off to their own devices when not knowing about these things makes you less prepared, more scared, and potentially it's a more difficult experience, right? But if we're open and honest and transparent about what we are experiencing instead of being afraid or ashamed, then we open up this conversation and make it easier for everyone now and everyone who comes after us. And that has always been the goal of any kind of issue that feels like it is shameful, right. that it's, you know, what I like to call innovating for the darkness, right? That's what we're doing as a company. Because when things are in the dark, they always are scarier. That's the monster under your bed. Those are the demons in your closet. They're always in the dark right? But the minute that you shine a light on them, you pull those pants out that don't fit anymore and you give them to somebody else or you donate them to Goodwill or whatever it is, right? The minute that you let go of what you were to become who you are, you are already more empowered and more in control of your life. And so my feeling is if you know what to do about your period, if you have been using tampons and pads and cups your whole life, well, then you need to know what to do when you get to menopause, when you know you may experience vaginal dryness, painful sex, dry skin, things that are going to be uncomfortable unless you have a hey, great product on hand to help you through it. That's the idea. That's it. It's as simple as that. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Something that I think is so interesting is that millennials are now entering their 40s. I think I'm a mid-millennial. I'm 31. But we are the oversharing generation. We're the Instagram generation. We're the generation that kind of talks about everything. How do you think that plays into kind of the shifting narrative? I think it's, I would say, more than 50% responsible for this really being something. I believe very much that I have been given permission by younger generations and by being friends with younger people to speak 
truths that I was taught to hide my whole life, mm. right? I I grew up as a Gen Xer and we were taught like always be like a duck, like unruffled, you know, gliding along the water, but paddling like hell underneath. You just never want anybody to know how hard you had to work or you had to make it all look effortless, right? And there was only like one person who could win. There was one job or one person to date or whatever it was, right? There was always this sense of competition, not just competition with each other, but this kind of competition that you were always meant to, you know, beat yourself. You were always meant to improve and evolve and, you know, this idea of linear trajectory of success. And none of that is true anymore. We do not live linear lives. And partly we are seeing that entire kind of industrial revolution structure of like the parents with the 2.2 children and the white picket fence and one person goes to work and one person stays home with the children. That has been decimated by the technological revolution. None of those things are true anymore, right? I mean, as we get more expansive about what a family looks like, what a family unit could look like, we know that there are all kinds of variables and variations here. Right. It's not like dad goes to work and mom stays home. We don't even have those kind of gender binaries anymore. And the fact is, you don't have to go to an office. We can work from anywhere now. We date differently. We eat differently. We have a completely different set of available tools to us to live life differently. So this idea that you go to school, you get a job, you get married, you have kids, you get a better job, you retire, you move to Florida and die is one that is so antiquated. Right. So this idea that we can't have this second spring in a truly meaningful way to really take a look at the data, to really look at, let's say, women 45 to 55, highest rate of decreased earning potential, divorce and depression. And I don't think that's by accident. I think we are experiencing hormonal chaos and we're experiencing what culture has taught us to experience, that we are somehow invisible after a certain point. That, you know, not being fertile really equates to a certain kind of invisibility. All of those things, all of those beliefs are deconstructible. And we can really turn the idea of ageism or the idea of menopause into something other than a joke and, and really look at it as an incredible opportunity, a real moment to like actually value our Asian experience in a way that allows us to, I like to say it's mother nature's biological way of insisting that we take a pause, that we refocus our time and energy on ourselves after constantly being caretakers, either to children or to parents. This is that age, right? You're, you know, the fancy agency loves to call it the sandwich generation, but that's because we have pressure on both sides. And, you know, you may be dealing with childcare or elder care, but if you are also, um, you know, being pushed out of your job and your corner office, and because you're a very expensive employee and a 25-year-old will do what you do for a quarter of the price and probably twice as fast, and they're more digitally savvy, that can leave you feeling unmoored. You know, it can make you feel like you are just absolutely losing any sense of self-esteem and importance and value. But what if we were to change that? What if we were to say, hey, you're just hitting your stride when you get to 50? What if 50 is when you turn everything around and do everything that you always wanted to? You spent the first 50 years of your life either establishing a career, raising a family, or both. And now you have the opportunity to say, 
this next 50 years is about me. I'm going to turn my side hustle into a main hustle. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to do this with my family. I'm going to stay with my job, but I want to, you know, I want to change my job title. I mean, this is the opportunity for us to think about not just what are we going to do with 10 years from 50 to 60, what are we doing from 50 to 80, right? Everybody thinks it's so cute to be old, old couple, hold hands on a bench, so sweet, right? But nobody wants to age. Why? Aging is awesome. I mean, aside from not wanting the alternative, which is an eventuality, right? I think the problem with aging and the reason that we struggle so much, especially in middle age, is that our parents start to die and we start to recognize that we are next, right? Mm -hmm. That's more days behind us than in front of us. But doesn't that actually mean that we should value time more at this stage of life, that we can value our actions more and all of our determination really should be around all this extra time in the middle is a gift. What do we want to do with it? Do we want to pivot? How do we reframe this as a plus? How do we reframe this as like, wow, we just got an added bunch of time in the middle of life to be strong and healthy and happy. That's a lot different than having more time at the end of life. We always talk about, there's a very big movement, and certainly during in, in talking about chronic illness and, the, and death and dying, right? People want to die well, but it's much more important that we live well and that we live well for as long as we can. And if you, again, are prepared for what changes come with menopause, like the decrease in estrogen really affecting bone density, well, then you'll know strength training is super important to protect your bones when you age. These are things that make you mobile longer, give you more um, physical freedom and actual freedom from having to need care or assisted living or things like that. And we want to look at 50 as well. We're still vibrant. We're still young enough to lead an entirely new life. I'm on my fourth career. I mean, think about that. Like I've got so much more in me to do. And now for the first time ever, I feel like I am confident enough about how to manage my health at this stage of life to really be able to um, enjoy and, you know, treasure and kind of um, celebrate all of this extra time that I'm going to have to do fun, cool, new things. Yeah. I think along with this fear that you're talking about that people feel about aging and how that needs to change. I think particularly for women, there is a fear. I I don't know how better to put it. What do you think? And I know you mentioned you hate the term anti-aging. I agree with you. I hate it. Um, What do you think needs to change about the way we talk about beauty for women in this phase of their lives and how can we do better to talk about it? I mean, it's a very smart question, Zoe, and, and I'm not sure it's necessarily one that I can answer. I mean, you know, I love to say um, there's a great quote that I read that's like, be beautiful enough to pity the blind beholder, right? Mm. Because this idea of beauty is in the eye of the beholder is just not true, right? I mean, of course, yes, like some people are going to think we're beautiful. Some people aren't. Like it's really what we think about ourselves. And this idea that you are beautiful enough to see in yourself what somebody else may not, to me is very important right? That is truly the the cornerstone of self-esteem. And it is a little bit tricky because in some ways, I feel like Gen X has been the first generation to be able to delude themselves about how old they are because we came up with the rise in Botox and uh, filler and things in a way that make us 
you know, honestly look younger than we are, right? It's kind of the joke, we walk among you. But part of the reason is because we've been erasing age cosmetically now for a while. This isn't just good skincare. Anybody who's telling you that like lotion is the reason they have no wrinkles is lying. And that is just the truth. Like lotion can keep you hydrated. Lotion can do lots of things, but it cannot stop you from aging right? I mean, retinol, I get it. Fine lines, we get it. But like truly, lotion will not stop aging. It is that there are more uh, cosmetic and invasive procedures that allow us to look younger than we are. And the fact around that is that like, it really shouldn't matter whether you choose to use Botox or filler or get a facelift, or you just want to use an Instagram filter. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The point is we just have to come to terms with that we age, that we die. Those are bigger kind of philosophical things. But when it comes to beauty, what I truly believe is that as we age, mobility is got to be part of, and, and agency is got to be part of what we consider to be beautiful about ourselves. And so exercising, good nutrition, good sleep hygiene isn't because you don't want to look your age. It's because you want to age and be strong and healthy enough to enjoy it. Mm. I think also part of the reason that we're afraid of aging, aging is because we're all afraid of being infirm. We're all afraid of being sick. So this isn't so much just, oh, I don't want to look old right? This is about change your mindset from what age you look to what age you feel. Mm. And that is much more about how do we lead enriching lives without thinking about what this cultural standard of beauty is, right? The more that we can each individually define our own standard of beauty, the more we move the needle in terms of culture. And when I look at companies like Style Like You, who I was lucky enough to do an interview with, um, and they do something, an interview series called What's Underneath, where you strip down to your underwear, where you are literally uh, physically bare and emotionally bare. If you watch that series, if you watch all of the speakers that they have and all of the topics that they have covered, how people fall back in love with themselves after beating themselves up for years or how people have come to respect their physical selves or or their mental health or whatever it is, is absolutely astounding. Mm. And this idea that there is no one in the world before or after you that will ever be like you, that you are this mixture of unique billions of atoms that nobody else can be except you, then why wouldn't you value yourself at any age, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a incredible to think about the fact that there is no one in the world who is you or like you. Think about what that means you have to offer every time you meet another person. We don't want to give that up at a certain age because we're told that we're no longer beautiful or we don't meet the standards of cultural beauty. We have to go about changing those standards individually and then collectively, and then they just start to move. That's the way we, you know, movements develop. I'm glad we're recording this because I want that to be the alarm that I wake up to every morning. That is like my hype <laughs> up for the day. Nobody is like you. Yeah. And I love that. But so I imagine that, you know, you spent decades in the public eye. I imagine that there was a lot of pressure, physical appearance related pressure, all of that sort of stuff. How did you get to this point of feeling this way about aging and having this attitude towards not even, I don't want to say acceptance. I don't want to say positivity. It feels so elevated beyond that, your attitude towards all of this. 
I really appreciate that. I mean, look, you know, I have my days like everybody else, of course, but um, even when I was on TV, uh, you know, regularly, um, if you, it's funny, you'll see my, I, I mean, I'm, I've been a, I, I, I'm a roller coaster, right? My weight goes up and down. And if you watch from the beginning of what not to wear to the end, you will see that I'm pretty much a different weight in every season. And nobody ever said anything to me. And to be quite honest with you, we were working such crazy hours that a lot of times it was like I gained weight because I just couldn't do, I couldn't work out or I couldn't eat healthy. And then there are other times where I was really dedicated to being at the gym and, you know, it, I just look a lot thinner, but, but the pressure of being on television really for me, wasn't about weight as much as it was that I would get stopped on the street. If I was wearing, let's say sweats and people would be like, you're not allowed to wear that. That is what not to wear. And I would say, but I'm going to the gym. So frankly, it is what to wear to the gym, mm -hmm. right? I would not wear this to a job interview. So uh, there was a lot more pressure in terms of always looking stylish that I found much harder than to deal with the pressure to be a certain weight or a certain way or look a certain way. Um, that I, I experienced a lot less. And we really also made it a, a distinctive point of the show never to really talk about like, you know, it was never like you would look so much better if you lost 10 pounds or gained 10 pounds. I mean, we never talked about weight. We, ne we always believed, and I continue to believe, you cannot be the best version of yourself if you're not willing to accept exactly where you are. Because then you don't know what you're working with, right? If you're not accepting of your physicality exactly as it is, you will always dress it incorrectly. If you are not accepting of your menopausal experience, believe me, it will be a lot rougher. The more you accept, the more you expand, right? That is my feeling. Like the more that you say yes, and the more that you say and, right, which I truly believe I'm holding up my necklace so you can that. see it, that more than one thing can be true at the same time, that you can be feeling like, wow, I'm losing my looks from when I was young. That's one way to think about it. Or you can say, I'm in transition and my looks are changing. What does that mean? What does that, what do I get out of that? How can I not only in, accept that, but embrace it? How does my style change? How does, how does my beauty routine change? What kind of menopause products do I need in order to improve the quality of my day rather than take away from it? These are the questions um, and challenges that we get to ask ourselves at every stage of life, right? It's just that we don't talk about this one. But it's really no different from any other stage. How do you optimize for the best experience that you can have at this stage of life? We have not had longer lifespans in order to be able to talk about the middle being bigger and wider. And now we are. Now we are able to say, hey, 50 to 80, you can't count me out. Not only do I have an expendable income, not only am I healthier than I was 50 years ago at this age, right? These, this demographic has so much to offer our culture, our society. And for people with female reproductive organs, that is not solely about being able to reproduce, right? We uh, look at any person with female reproductive organs past the age of 40, who maybe is no longer having biological children, but guess what? They're definitely contributing a lot to our society. So this idea, this, you know, sort of antiquated caveman notion that that's what quote unquote women are for is, is we've so far surpassed that in our culture. So isn't it time to let go of these antiquated ideas of beauty, mm. of what youth and, you know, 
you know, what do we what do we prize? Youth and thinness and 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 wealth. But there's so much more that we have to offer as humans, especially in terms of our experience with how many days we have been on the planet. Our life experience, whether younger people are like, yes, but I know technology better than you do, is still important. We can't devalue or underestimate the power of life experience and the way in which that helps us relate to each other. So for all the things that I am grateful to millennials and Gen Z for teaching me, I still have stuff to teach them. And by the time they get to menopause, it should be a no-brainer. Every single one of them should be educated enough to make decisions solely based on the fact that they have been educated and that they know what their choices are and that they have agency and therefore are empowered to make those choices. I love that. And now, I mean, I know definitely much better than I think my even my mom did, my grandmother did kind of what's, what's coming for me in future decades. They, thanks to work I mean, you know, like you. And well, I appreciate that. But also, Zoe, I was going to say, it's even scary when it's like, what's coming for you, mm-hmm. right? It does feel like it's still that monster under the bed. And I, I'll tell you, somebody slapped back at me on um, on Instagram saying, oh, you're using, you're using prepare, you're using scare tactics. And I said, no, I'm trying to use prepare tactics. I, I don't want to scare you. And we don't know enough about we know enough about menopause to kind of give you all the generalities, all the umbrella, right, generalities. It's probably going to happen around this time unless it's medical or surgical menopause. Here are most of the common symptoms. But the fact is bioindividuality plays a huge part in the way that we experience menopause. So you may have very mild symptoms and never actually really go through any struggle at all. Or you may have very severe symptoms that actually like lay you out, or it'll be something in the middle. But I can't tell you exactly how long your symptoms will last or how severe they'll be or what the frequency of them will be. Some people have hot flashes, they go away and come back. So it's really not about that I can chart your exact experience, but I can certainly put you um, in a place with enough education so that when you start to get to a certain age, you can start to be aware of things that you want to track, right? Mood, uh, period, um, uh, weight, uh, bone mass, uh, cognitive health, cardiac health. These are all the things that once you've gone through menopause are still going to be the most I would say primary and priority concerns, cognitive bone and cardiac health. That's until that's until you're in the ground. So we want to make sure that you know all of these things well ahead of getting there. Oh my God. If I had known what my experience of menopause was going to be like, even if I just had some idea, I would have prepared so much more for it. I really would have. And I really would have understood why it's important to start tracking sleep hygiene, why nutrition matters in certain areas, particularly those three that I mentioned, and certainly in terms of sleep, right? And and also in terms of exercise, right? This idea that I I was on and off and really very sporadic about exercise, you there is nothing that cures everything like exercise. Who knew? I mean, you knew. A lot of people knew. I'm probably the least healthy person in wellness, so I, it took me a long time to figure it all out. <laughs> no, but I think it's so, it's so true. Like there are so many women, you know, we're talking about the retinoids and the Botoxes of the world when really we need to be talking about the mobility, the bone health, the cardiac health, kind of all of these things that are a lot, a lot more important. I mean, feel, feeling good and looking good—that is an important 
for its own reasons, but all of these other things Absolutely. seem to super, supersede that in very obvious ways. <laughs> and I think, look, you know, Zoe, I think that part of what you're saying is exactly what I've really come to understand. This idea that, you know, you can't look good if you don't feel good. And you certainly can't enjoy and savor your life at any age if you don't have mobility, mm-hmm. if you don't have strength. If you don't have um, sort of clear cognitive skills, right? And I really do believe in neuroplasticity because I went from being a TV host to the CEO of a company for the first time ever, and I really had to learn a lot of new stuff real fast, right? You can learn at any age. You want to keep your mind and your body active. That is part of what this is about, is really just a campaign also to get you not to shrink in menopause literally, physically, and sort of emotionally, but to kind of, you know, branch out to embrace new things. This is the moment. And Vogue wrote an article. It was very funny. I was very honored to be interviewed in it, but it was called, you know, menopause is having its moment. Mm -hmm. I'm like, menopause is not having its moment. Menopause is a movement. And the minute you say that something is having its moment, you're you're basically suggesting that it won't have a moment. It's only a moment that it gets, right? Instead of becoming part of the firmament, we don't want menopause to be a fad. We want this to be contextualized so that you are getting this medical information from your doctors or your care practitioners, that you have community in order to have these conversations with friends and colleagues, and that your workplace is supportive of this stage of your life, and that your family understands and is supportive of this stage of your life. That requires requires a ton of conversation, communication, and just banging the same nail onto the wall over and over and over again until it's strong enough to hang the pictures, right? I mean, like that is where we are right now. We are building the vertical of menopause. We are building that so eventually there will be a menopause aisle in your you know, neighborhood grocery store or drugstore. Those are the things that are going to matter. And y- you won't have to be embarrassed to go in and say, all right, you know, where is that menopause aisle? I'm, where, where are the vaginal dryness products? We've been taught to be embarrassed of our own biological, you know, physiological selves. How crazy is that? That we have endured that, particularly women and those who identify as such, I think have really endured this terrible shame about just being who we are. That is changing. The more that we break down all of these kind of you know, patriarchal lenses when we look at society, when I think about the fact that I have been walking around my whole life opening door handles that were designed for and by men, I'm like, oh my God, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, this gender inequity. It's everywhere. This is where we start to make change that conversation in women's health and wellness. That's where we start because that's where we've been shortchanged the most. Uh-huh. And that's where we start to make the difference, I think, in, the, in moving this conversation. And eventually that, you know, turns to aging that, you know, you can't count us out. So, The last thing I want to ask you, because this is routine rundown, tell me a little bit about your routine. What's on your face in the morning and at night? Okay. Well, I'll tell you right now. What's on my face in the morning and night? Okay. So morning is always um, uh, Iris and Romeo hyaluronic acid spray, and then the state of menopause face oil, and then the state of menopause cooling gel. I find that that not only kind of keeps me, my skin feeling cool so I don't have a hot flash, but it's a gel. It's made with um, vegetable squalene. 
So no whales were harmed. Obviously, we're Leaping Bunny certified, but I do like it because it really absorbs into the skin quite quickly and makes it very easy if I want to put on, let's say, uh, some uh, concealer. It's it, it just like gives you the perfect texture on your skin. So I use um, Iris and Romeo makes a kind of a sunscreen tinted moisturizer concealer, and I use that in the mornings. Um, I use the Winky Lux um, eyebrow pencil, and then um, I use the Westman Atelier. Uh, blush stick. Mm -hmm. Lipstick, it really depends on the day, but my favorite company for lipstick is About Face, Mm. Halsey's makeup company. I think her products are absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, And then at night, I usually wash with whatever gentle face wash I have. I do my cooling spray, the State of Menopause cooling spray. I do the face oil. And then depending on how dry it is, I will either do the cooling gel again or I'll use our facial moisturizing cream Mm -hmm. that's much heavier. So I use that more in, you know, as we go into fall and winter, you need more moisture, something thicker as a protective barrier for your skin at night. So that's usually, that's it. That's my regimen. I love, we have so many of the same products. I use the Iris and Romeo, the About Face, like all of it. I love it. Oh my God. See, and we're like, look at that multi-generational yeah, in that. common. I love that. Well, amazing. Stacey, thank you so, so much. This was awesome. I mean, if anyone, if anyone in the beginning did not know why you are an icon, I hope that this conversation <laughs> it because it's just the best. So thank you for this. Thank you for all of your work in menopause. And you're really making, making this phase feel a lot less scary for those of us who are oh, on our way good. there. So thank you. Oh my God, Zoe, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for saying that because really menopause isn't scary. And it, if if we if we take the opportunity to look at it as the opportunity that it is, um, I feel like you know, oh God, I mean that that's a, that's an idea that could actually change the world. On today's show, you heard me, your host Zoe Weiner, in conversation with Stacy London. Routine Rundown is a Well and Good Studios production. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend or two so they can join the conversation too. We also have a newsletter for you to subscribe to, which we've linked in the show notes for extra insight on all things mentioned in today's episode. And if you feel so moved, you can always drop us a line at podcast at wellandgood.com. Routine Rundown is produced by Taylor Camille, Jen Snyder, and Abby Stone, along with help from many other hands and brands at Well and Good. Our episodes are edited by Sarah Gabrielli and Maya Stone with additional production support from Malia Agadello and Ashley George. Our theme music was created by Nick Doss and our show art was designed by Natalie Carroll, Jenna Gibson, and Alyssa Gray. On the next episode of Routine Rundown. It's a very limited approach versus what are some of the energetic reasons I have acne? For one, I was so anxious that I wasn't digesting my food well. So there was this overgrowth of toxicity in my system. I wasn't releasing enough and that in turn congests the blood, it recirculates through the body. It is a contributing factor to acne. So when I could see, oh, I need to find ways to deal with my anxiety. I need to find ways to connect inside. It all started to work together. My GI tract started to function better, my digestion and then your nervous system. You know, everything is interconnected.